0: Welcome to Just the Right Book. I'm Roxanne Cody. We are delighted today that we will be welcoming one of my most favorite authors, Elizabeth Strout, and she'll be talking with us about her new book called Anything is Possible. She is best known for her book Olive Kittredge, uh, which won the Pulitzer, and many of you might have seen her HBO series. We'll get her inside scoop on how she felt about it and how it was cast. We'll also get to talk to our first Just the Right Book Club winner, Kim Nelson-Layman, a fan of Elizabeth's and an avid listener of our podcast, who got a big surprise when she was on the phone with us, when she realized who else was on the phone with us. So in the meantime, let's take a listen to my interview with Elizabeth. thing that is most striking, I think, to me and to her readers is miss strout's compassion for her characters and her understanding of the communality of human guilt and suffering i find it enveloping and enlightening and in her latest book she brings us nine interconnected stories of folks from the small rural community of Amgash, Illinois. And these gems bring us the truth, the humanity, and the sadness of many of the characters that were in My Name is Lucy Barton, although I don't think you need to read uh, Lucy Barton. And as Jennifer Senior of the New York Times said, when you read Strout, you read her for the same reason you listen to a requiem and that is to experience the beauty of sadness. And with that, I'd like to welcome you to Just the Right Book, Elizabeth.
1: Well, thank you. lovely to be here. Thank you so much, and thank you for all those lovely things you said.
0: <laughs> so, so, Elizabeth, when you were writing My Name is Lucy Barton, did you see Anything as Possible as its companion right away? Or when you finished My Name is Lucy Barton, you thought, we needed to hear the rest of the story from Anything is Possible.
1: You know, when I was writing My Name is Lucy Barton, um, I actually started to sketch out a number of the stories that ended up in Anything is Possible. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen to them. But as I was writing My Name is Lucy Barton and I would listen to the mother and the daughter talk about, or, you know, I'd be writing it, but listening to it as well, uh, listening to the mother and the daughter talking about different people from their hometown I would think, oh, I wonder what happened to those pretty nicely girls, you know? And so I would, um, like, grab a piece of paper and, and, um, you know, write a sketch or so of of different events that might be occurring now in their lives. And so by the time I was done with My Name is Lucy Barton, I realized, oh, I do have this other book. I mean, it wasn't completely done or anything, but but that's sort of how it happened. I didn't mean for it to happen, but it but it did. <laughs> yeah, but you sort of put
0: yourself in our shoes because, you know, we we got the idea in reading My my Name is Lucy Barton that we maybe didn't have reliable narrators. Right. Or they were leaving something out. Right, right. So to me, it was just beyond delicious to get to anything as possible. <laughs> That's and, and, you know, see how Lucy and her mom sort of dealt in some ways a little loose with Uh, the facts.
1: Right. Right, exactly.
0: Now, Elizabeth, one of the things I'm curious about is if I understand this correctly, your background is not rural and poor. You know, you're you had educated parents. You're, I, I believe your father was a professor at yes, a college. Yes, a science
1: professor, a parasitologist. Yep, at the University of New Hampshire. And uh, my mother was an English teacher. And so, no, I didn't have a rural poor background. It was it was fairly rural. We were we were at that point, um, you know, rather outside the town, um, but but we were not. Um, we did not have the poverty at all. That Lucy Barton. Endured.
0: So, what attracts you to those characters and those stories?
1: You know, I think that um, I think that my whole life I've been aware of you know other people and that they live differently. And I was thinking also that you know there was a, a boy in my elementary school who was terribly, terribly poor. Every every rural town that I've known has had a family that's been that poor, that they've been ostracized just because of how poor they are. And there was a boy in my third grade class. He's since passed away, I found out, but he was he was that kid. And the teacher said to him in third grade, you have dirt behind your ears and nobody's too poor to buy a bar of soap. Mm. And I saw that poor kid's neck turn bright red. And, yeah. and it was not until I had finished writing My Name is Lucy Barton that I remembered that particular child. And so there's always been, I think, some sense of awareness on my part for many, many different kinds of people that there are in the world.
0: You know, I, w- I was thinking about the the breadth of your education and how that informed it. So you were a theater major at Bates, then you were an English major, then you go to law school, Yeah. then you get a <laughs> certification in gerontology. Yeah. H- how do you think that sort of mash-up... <laughs> backgrounds how how do those things inform you because you know I see little threads of it but
1: yeah I think the theater is the most connected to my writing because I have always been so curious to know what it feels like to be another person and when I was doing theater in college that that was, was what drew me to it it's like what does it feel like to be this character and so I think that's probably directly connected but um And then I switched to English because I realized I can read more. If I was an English I didn't have to worry about reading. Good job. Good job. Yeah. Um, The law school was, um, it felt at the time like it might have been a mistake. And I did drop out the first year and I wrote a very bad novel. Um, And then I went back. So I was writing all the time. But but then I went back and I realized, you know, if I'm going to go back to law school, I'm going to do something that, is I'm interested in, I was always interested in the elderly, probably because I was brought up on a dirt road with all these elderly aunts Mm. (laughs) Uh, lined up on the dirt road. And and probably that's where my interest came at that time in my life. Um, But I never was able to be a lawyer, thank goodness, for only six months. I was a lawyer and I was very, very, very bad lawyer. And then I did slowly start to get um, stories published and the JD was able to be used as a graduate degree when we moved to New York so that I could teach at Manhattan Community College in the English department. So
0: so it came in handy.
1: Yes, it did. It did. It absolutely did. And then when I wrote The Burgess Boys, I had an understanding of the legal issues because of the law school training. And I also think the law school training was helpful because it sort of stripped me of excessive emotion Mm. that, you know, I've always suffered from. (laughs) So um, I think it was actually, in the long run, good for my writing. But I didn't know that at the time.
0: What's interesting to me that you say about stripping it down, because one of my um, all-time favorite writers is William Trevor.
1: Oh, oh, I love
0: I find your writing proximate to him in that, it's spare and filled with
1: empathy. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because he was an enormous influence on me. Oh, interesting. Oh, yes. He and Alice Monroe were like bookends, and I just read them and read them and read them and read them, and I thought that William Trevor can flip a sentence in the middle of that sentence. He can just flip it on its belly and reveal so much in just a phrase, Yeah, um, and I think that he's got such a warm heart. And then Alice Munro had such authority on the page. Um, she's fantastic that way. And and so those those were the two main people that I just really kept returning to again and again as I was working.
0: You know, the other book that comes to mind now, as you mentioned them, that's that's regained some popularity is The Stoner. Yes, there were two of the chapters that were particularly striking to me. One was the one uh, about Charlie Macaulay. And I'll read read this short paragraph. Uh, Because he was Charlie and not someone else, he could not say to his son, you are decent and strong, and none of this has anything to do with me. But you came through it, that childhood that wasn't all roses. And I'm proud of you. I'm amazed by you. And all your characters um, here reflect the damage that parents advertently or inadvertently do to their children. What's your philosophy or thinking about how one can move past that damage or even be forgiving?
1: Well, I think that we're all born with the nature, um, and then there's the nurture. You know? So there's, it's, it's always the most mysterious combination to my way of thinking. I don't think anybody really ever understands why someone turns out the way they do. And so I'm constantly intrigued by, you know, if you have three different siblings with perhaps a similar background, how different they can become. And then you've got poor Charlie McCauley, who, um, you know, he was, he was traumatized by the Vietnam War. That was the beginning and end of his life, really. I mean, in certain ways. Right. Because, you know, he just, you know, many people went to that war and they came back and they were able to do okay. And he seems to have been okay, but he's not. He's just carried that with him all his life, and that was, to me, his story. The
0: other character um, that—the other chapter that was astounding to me that could be a play, speaking of of theater, was the chapter called The Sign that Mm. was between Tommy and Pete, and to set it up, you have two withdrawn, damaged men— And Tommy's reaching out to Pete. Talk a little bit about why you brought them together in this scene and what you hope a reader takes away from it.
1: Right. Well, Tommy Guptill, you know, he, I mean, talk about being born with the nature. He's just a lovely man. I mean, I think he's just. He's
0: my favorite in the book.
1: I just, right. I think he's just a lovely person. And I suspect that he was born that way. And so when he has this tragedy of his, you know, um, barns burning down, he takes it in stride. And um, whether, you know, he takes it in stride because of what he believed happened that night or not. But the point is, he does take this in stride. He's made a good marriage. His children have come out okay. And so he's he's just a decent person. And he cares about Pete Barton. And even though he knows perfectly well that this isn't an easy thing that he's taking on. um, But that's Tommy's nature is to reach out to somebody like Pete Barton. And so he does. And then, you know, their surprising conversation ensues. But I just think Tom a just been probably a lovely man all his life.
0: Elizabeth, do you hear from readers that you're putting out these characters and their secrets and um exposing their frailties do people write to you and say how they have found that liberating to share a secret or tell a story
1: yes there have been um there have been those letters and they mean a great deal to me they mean an awful lot to me um i just received one recently where a woman said that you know her her own pain has been um well she didn't use the word transcendent but she felt you know uplifted from reading about these people. And that was such a wonderful thing for me to hear, <laughs> because, you know, it's really kind of what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to let readers know that whatever they've suffered or whatever they've gone through has probably been suffered and gone through before.
0: We're talking with uh, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author Elizabeth Strout and discussing her new book, Anything is Possible. And I do think that, I think it's the enormous thing that you do accomplish. And the companion to it, I think, is it would be easy for lots of people who did not grow up in the circumstances of the characters and Anything is Possible to come up with a set of judgments about these people. And I think your writing helps us understand, no, it's not quite that simple.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, whenever you've got people, nothing is simple. (laughs) Well. (laughs) That's that's what I think. That's my philosophy. (laughs) So speaking
0: of of not simple, one of the really powerful uh, scenes in the book is uh, Lucy is now together uh, with her siblings. Yeah. And Lucy, who's a very successful writer as a character um, Mm -hmm. and seems – has been away from Amgash for a long time and is, you know, kind of a faraway celebrity to the community. Her siblings have fuller memories than she does. Yeah. And they goat her about being more truthful. And Lucy's reaction is not, I think, what any of us expected.
1: Yeah, it was interesting to write that scene because I thought, okay, what's going to happen here? And then I realized, I get it. I know. Lucy's going to do so and so.
0: Yeah, we're not going to say what Lucy
1: yeah. does do. Right, right. But but as I was writing writing it and putting it together, I realized no, 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 this is what she's going to be feeling and so she will do this.
0: Yeah. It, it yeah. it's anything is all your books are incredibly Satisfying, you know, and I, I want to go back. I read My Name Is Lucy Barton three times. Oh, um, <laughs> well, because it's one of those books that is deceiving in its. Brevity and simplicity.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that. Right. I think people can read that too quickly, actually. You know, you
0: can read it and say, oh, yeah, so, you know, the mother and daughter didn't really get along and, you know, they were sort of quiet and, okay, good, that was fun, good, goodbye.
1: No, exactly. But there's many different strings that are going further down into the river. (laughs)
0: so, I don't i I think you've been quoted as saying you don't talk about books in progress, but are you working on the next book? I am working on the next book, yes,
1: I am. and yeah. are you
0: excited? I know you're not going to tell me anything else you but... know
1: i i I have had some really fun days at work with it. Yes, I can't wait you <laughs> know I, mean, I have I have my usual doubts as I do with everything, but um, we'll see. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, Elizabeth, I'm I'm asking this question, which you shouldn't ask because I don't know the answer uh, to it. But were you involved in writing the screenplay for Olive Kittredge for HBO?
1: No, I wasn't at all. No. Frances and I had a number of talks about Olive herself. And I spoke with the screenwriter once, um, probably for about an hour and a half. And I spoke with the director once, probably for about an hour and a half. And that was it. How would you
0: feel about it? Oh, I thought they did a wonderful yeah. job. She was, yeah. but you know, she... I don't think I would have conjured her up without seeing her, but she seemed like the perfect actress to play Olive.
1: Yeah, I really was. I was that, That's why I gave it to the material to her, because she's Frances McDormand, and I thought she could do this. Yeah. And, and she did. Yeah, it, she was, did. it
0: was astonishing. Just yeah. astonishing.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so one of the questions we ask all our guests, Elizabeth, is what is the book that changed your life?
1: I just, there are, So many books that have felt like they changed my life at the time that I was reading them. And then a new book would come along and I felt like that was life changing. So I don't know. You know, I mean, years and years ago, I remember reading Sons and Lovers by D.H. Lawrence, and I was so excited about what a writer could do as I Mm -hmm. read that book. And um, that that was very astonishing for me. And also Winesburg, Ohio, that was a huge deal for me when I first read that book. I was 17 years old. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense because I realized, oh, you know, that form has come back to me. And um, I do remember when I read that book, I just thought, I can't believe that a writer can do this. It was so, exciting for me. So, I guess I'd have to say Windsor, Ohio.
0: Okay. We we'll, we'll, we'll take that one. And yeah. one one other question that I realized I'm curious about, did winning the Pulitzer change how you think of yourself as a writer or change your writing or
1: You know, I don't think it did because it it arrived, you know, late enough in life that um my my writing self, you know, had been pretty You you is who you are. <laughs> yeah, I just am who I am. And um kind of always have been and so it did bring me more readers and so I felt, you know, responsibility to those readers. But the truth is I feel responsible, you know, if I had five readers I would feel just as responsible yeah. to them. So um so I don't think it I don't think it changed my myself as a writer or as a person.
0: Well I would say before we um segue to the surprise we're gonna have for the winner of our um book club contest as a bookseller you know one of the things that we live for and believe passionately in is putting the right book in the right hand and either giving someone the experience to you know be educated to be enchanted to develop empathy and the ability for me and all of us at R.J. Julia's, to put your books in customers' hands is is the reason we live and breathe.
1: Oh, that's just so wonderful. It's wonderful to hear that. And, and you booksellers are, you know, these people like yourself who hand-sell these books are just an enormously important part of my life. Well... It, th- this is a
0: mutual treat um, uh, then to do that. so uh, Elizabeth, I think uh, Christina had mentioned this to you. We had a um book club contest to um some of our uh, gazillions of fans, and mm-hmm. the winner um who will be joining us in one second is Kim Nelson. Layman, And she's just an insane fan of yours as well. And she's posted on her blog all these cute pictures where she's reading your book instead of painting her bathroom or doing all these other things. (laughs) So it's going to be a surprise to her that you're on.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: So Christina, will you dial her in? Okay, great. Okay. So then, shh, Elizabeth, and then we'll introduce you.
2: Okay, Roxanne,
0: you're on with Kim. Hi, Kim. So this is Roxanne Cody. Yes, um, hello. And congratulations on being our winner. And thank you for uh, being such an avid fan in all your great postings. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so we have a treat for you. As you know, our book club read Elizabeth Strout's Anything is Possible, And as part of your being a winner, Elizabeth Strout is on with us for you to be able to tell her why you love her book and ask her a question. So, Elizabeth, Uh please meet Kim Nelson-Layman. Hi, Kim. It's Elizabeth. How are you? (laughs)
2: Oh, my goodness. Hi. What a nice surprise.
0: Oh, how nice to speak with you. So, Kim, um, I mentioned to Elizabeth that you had the cutest picture of you avoiding painting your bathroom while you're,
2: while you're reading her book. (laughs) That's correct. Well, because I think at the same, there were, there's always something going on on social media, right? And so it would get caught reading. And that weekend we were, um, redoing our bathroom. Uh, But I I was making my husband do most of the work because I was reading. (laughs) And I was reading Anything is Possible. So, Kim,
0: I don't know if you're prepared to ask Elizabeth a question since you didn't know she would be on. But I imagine you're pretty quick-witted and have a question for her.
2: I I read My Name is Lucy Barton, first of all. And I've also read Anything is Possible and that. So I guess my question, I have many, but (laughs) probably my my, uh, biggest question would be just, where did you come up with, uh, um, gosh, Amgash? I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Illinois, like, and all the people in it. I just, I'm amazed by all the different characters and how many different lives you had to keep straight in your head. <laughs> I know. Well, I
1: did. You know, it's funny. It's like where I don't, um, I came up with Amgash because my husband and I were out in the Midwest, and I've been out there a number of times, and I just sort of, when I was writing my name is Lucy Barton, all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, she comes from, Sky. There's just going to be huge sky around this tiny little house. And so then my husband and I went back to the Midwest a number of times to make sure that, you know, we had all the details right about, you know, I had the details right about, you know, how high the soybeans would be you know at certain times of year and stuff like that. But the people themselves, they just kept sort of popping up. And, um, and I sort of had an image of like, um, you know, a bolt of material unfolded on the table and different little points, like little star points. So I, so I thought of them as like a constellation, you know, on, on these, on this bolt of material. And I would think, okay, there's Tommy Guptill and there's Patty nicely and there's her mother over there. (laughs) And, um, so I think that's, how I did it, not in order. I never write anything in order, but wow. they they managed to stay in my head.
0: <laughs> Elizabeth, you don't when when you if you don't write them in order. So there are, right. I think, as we talked about, nine interconnected stories. How do you decide how to arrange them?
1: You know, it's always interesting because um, I find myself because I work on different pieces of them at at the same time, and then I'll find myself um, maybe once a week or so you know, kind of collecting the manuscript and putting it together. And then I usually realize, oh, I'm putting it in the order it should be in. Mm. That's what happened with Olive Kittredge, and that's what happened with anything Is possible. So on some level, my unconscious is working as I'm doing it. And then I realize, you know, at the end, okay, this is how it's going to (laughs) be. Because Abel Blaine, I wrote that. You know, I wrote that story way early, and then Tommy Gupta was one of the later later ones. But I somehow understood. Okay, we'll we'll start with Tommy
0: because they do feel like they build on each other. Yeah. in a pretty perfect way. I would have thought they were actually written in some kind of consecutiveness.
1: No, I never write anything consecutively. <laughs> I don't. I don't even write a. You know, not not a story, not a book, nothing. I, I just don't seem to work that way. So it's like um, a little
0: collage. It
1: is. It really is. Exactly. Exactly. And then as it you know becomes more and large I, I begin to have a sense of, okay, let's see, this will move this to this and this to this and so, so do you have you know, papers all over your desk? All over. I am the messiest worker. <laughs> oh oh my goodness. I'm I'm really, really a messy worker. Okay. Everywhere.
0: Is your house messy or just your desk?
1: You know, um, Well, tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) My nature is a messy one, but I do now have somebody to come in every week and help um, arrange the mess. So that's really, really helpful, except for my work. That that stays very, very messy. And I don't mean, you know, I'm not dirty. I'm just messy. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a difference. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, Kim, I gave you a little time to think of your second question.
2: (laughs) So the gift. Well, first of all, I think that's, that might be, I don't know if it's my favorite because I loved the one, I loved the sister right. because Lucy Barton was in there and I was, I like cheered when I got to that part yeah. and she was there. So, <laughs> um, I was happy to revisit her, but mm-hmm. the gift might be my favorite after that one. Um, and I think because there's just so much going right. on in Abel's mind, like as he's having all these different experiences and right. he's thinking about his sister and he's thinking about his daughter and it just, it seems so much like how I right, sometimes exactly, have so much going exactly. on in my mind. But I guess um, at the end of the story, something is happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And um, I I just sort of feel like the way it's left, I don't know if you're leaving it to the reader's imagination right. as far as how it's resolved. I'm trying to be optimistic. Yes, as as you well should be. Because
1: I do, I am, I was purposely leaving it exactly at that point, so that anything is possible, right. um, and we just don't know. I, I left it wide open for, you know, the reader to feel whatever they want to feel, and also
2: because. That's where I thought
1: the story ended.
2: All right. Well, I feel good about that. Like I said, I'm being optimistic in that. History. I, think you're right. <laughs> I think you have every reason to be. <laughs>
1: well,
0: I'd like to thank you, Kim, first, for being an avid listener to Just the Right Books podcast. And tell us the name of your blog, because I know you do a blog.
2: I do. It's very recent. I just started in May. It's called Yours for the reading.com and um that's from a little um I stole that a little bit from a tree grows in brooklyn because that's one right, of my all-time right. favorite uh books from childhood so um that blog is mostly just book reviews and anything if I go to a, a independent bookstore I did RJ Julia on there one day. Yeah. Oh thank <laughs> so. you. Um so anything bookish that I come up with and it's Lovely. just a way mostly it started because my friends were, kept asking what are you reading? So now they know.
0: <laughs> right. My what is your reading twenty seven years ago turned into a whole bookstore. So
2: stick <laughs> stick
1: to a blog Be careful, Kim. <laughs> You think the bathroom was bad? Watch out. (laughs) That's about all I can
0: handle. (laughs) I remember my husband saying when I left practicing uh, tax law in New York and said I was going to open up a bookstore, and he said— Rox, you could just go ahead and recommend books the way you've been recommending. You don't need to open a whole store
1: <laughs> it's funny. Um. Uh, to do it.
0: And Elizabeth, I'd like to thank you for any number of things. Uh, the pleasure of reading all the books that you've written for your latest book, Anything is Possible. There hasn't been a book of yours I haven't adored and been sad that it ended. And there's a quote that you have that it is not good or bad that interests me as a writer, but the murkiness of human experience and the consistent imperfections of our lives. And I want to thank you for the genius you bring to explaining all of that to us. Well, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Just the Right Book. Well,
1: thank you very, very much. It's really been a pleasure. It's oh, been good. lovely. Just lovely, and awfully nice to meet you as well, Kim. <laughs> Thank you, you too. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks again to today's guest, Elizabeth Strout, and our very first Book Club winner, Kim Nelson-Layman. For a list of all the books in today's episode, including Elizabeth Strout's Anything is Possible, just go to bookpodcast.com. We want to hear from you. What are you reading? What guests or topics would you like us to cover? Or what do you think of the show? Send us an email at info at justtherightbookpodcast.com. We're trying to get a better demographic handle on the people like yourself who listen to Just the Right Book podcast. So I'd love to ask you to go to our website, bookpodcast.com, click on the listener survey, and it should take you about 30 seconds and it would be really helpful to us. So thank you in advance for taking the time to do this. Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Thank you to our sound engineer, Pat Keogh, and our producer, Christina Torres. Original music was created by Mark Berman. Thank you all for listening.